Hey fantasy readers, this is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Last month, I experimented by giving you a novella stretched out over five episodes. You all seem to survive with that little test, so now I'm going to try something else. Hopefully, I don't give you whiplash, because this time, I'm giving you four flash fiction stories in one episode. If you're not familiar with flash fiction, they're stories that are usually under a thousand words, or four to five pages, for those of you who don't speak writing math. And when it's done well, it usually hinges on a single twist or aha moment that leaves you wanting a whole lot more. My favorite source for flash fiction is Havoc. For just $5 a year, you can get access to their archives to read all the flash fiction they've published over the years. You'll even find my little short, A Dying Phoenix, on there. But today, I'm featuring four stories they published by Hannah Carter, who clearly has the short story thing down. She has numerous short stories published in Havoc, as well as other anthologies, and she won a Realm Award in 2022 for her flash fiction. Two of today's stories are featured in the Seasonal Havoc Anthology, which includes the best of the best from the Havoc stories. Despite all that, she claims she's just a girl who wakes up every day hoping to figure out she's secretly a mermaid. In her spare time, she's either cuddling her cats, reading with a cup of tea, or listening to an absurd amount of Taylor Swift. Two of today's stories will be narrated by me, and two will be narrated by my brother, Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and my brother, as well as Havoc. For now, please enjoy Four Flash Fiction Stories by Hannah Carter. A Death Day to Remember Ever since his first death day, the day he'd seen his parents slaughtered, Vel had possessed a fascination with mortality. As a result of what he'd witnessed, he had two options, either go absolutely bonkers from the atrocities he'd seen that day, or view each death as a celebration, infuse some humor into the occasion, appreciate the deceased, etc. Unfortunately, not everyone appreciated his irreverent antics. Like today. He murdered that girl! The innkeeper shoved a gnarled finger into Vel's chest. His kind always caused trouble. The constable with malice-filled green eyes stepped forward. I suspected as much, filthy elf. Trust me, if I desired to murder someone, I'd do it with flair. All Vel wanted to do was eat his breakfast and continue his vacation in peace. Now he'd stumbled onto a death day. An unexpected surprise, but a welcome one. Stabbed? Please. How blasé. Vel strode around the room. Take our good friend, the innkeeper. He's an awful pig, no offense. So there'd be some great irony in butchering him like one and sticking an apple in his mouth. The innkeeper staggered back. Vel flashed him a radiant smile. Of course, that's all hypothetical. I don't really go around planning how to bump off people. Although for you, Vel gestured to the constable, I'd probably poison you with fenwork acid. Green, deadly, deceptive, just like you. 
the small breakfast crowd at the inn, all began to converse. They should count themselves lucky. They'd only expected some lackluster porridge or eggs to start the day. Instead, they'd found a bona fide murder when they'd come down the stairs. Someone had run to fetch the officer, and then the festivities had begun. That's enough! The green-eyed constable took out his handcuffs and moved toward Vell. You're under arrest for interrupting a police investigation and being a suspect in a murder. You could, but then you'd let the real criminal escape. Vell kneeled by the corpse. His dark eyes roamed the body. Her brown hair, pale skin, the ring on her middle finger. Interesting. I'd hate to steal the spotlight from someone on their death day. That's even worse than stealing attention on a birthday. You'll get plenty of those, but you'll only get one death day. I'd like to make hers spectacular. Vell picked up the deceased's hand and waved it at his accuser. And I'll start by announcing who the real murderer is. The constable stopped mid-step. You lying little vermin! I haven't even gotten the chance to examine the crime scene! You can't— Vell stood as he interrupted the officer. Him! Me! The innkeeper's bushy eyebrows rose. That's a lie! I didn't do anything! No? This woman owed you an enormous bill. I overheard you tell her last night that was her last warning. Yes, but I meant her last warning before I refused her tab, not stabbed her clean through. The man's mustache trembled at the accusation. You're trying to pin your crime on me. If I tried to pin anything on you, it'd be so subtle you wouldn't even know it was happening. And you'd probably agree with me in the end. Vell flashed his winsome smile. Bear with me. I'm just trying to make all the facts clear here he pointed toward a man with a top hat on his head. For example, that fellow is her fiancé. This could be a crime of passion. The dapper gentleman took a step back against the fireplace mantel. What? No! Lyra! No! I could never! He stammered a few more incoherent words and shook his head. There's no way you knew we're engaged. Isn't there? Vell touched his ring finger. Engagement ring. You're both wearing one. A collective gasp escaped the crowd as they began to whisper among themselves. May I pose a scenario? Perhaps the two lovers quarreled, and this gentleman grabbed a letter opener and stabbed Lyra through the heart. Vell spun around and waited for his standing ovation. No one applauded. Ah, well... Such was the life of an unappreciated genius. The man's pale cheeks began to regain their color as his fury rose. I never! I loved Lyra! Did you? Even though she was a moon elf? The whispers ceased. Vel had them hooked as he began his grand finale, and he couldn't stop the smirk from spreading across his face. Maybe he would steal the glory on poor Lyra's death day after all. Vell bent down and picked up Lyra's hand, her four-fingered hand, still wearing her elegant ring. You both are wearing an obsidian ring on your middle finger. That's a moon elf tradition. But the girl doesn't look like your kind, the innkeeper said. 
I assume she's half. That would explain her coloring, though she has four fingers and pointed ears. Vel straightened back up. So, you see, if it wasn't over money, and it wasn't over love, there leaves only one reason for this murder, and one imposter in our midst. Vel whirled around and grabbed the constable's arm. He writhed in protest, but Vel pulled out a thin blade and sliced open the officer's skin. Green blood bubbled up, and the exposed fay let out a stream of expletives. A changeling fay hunter, on a mission to kill every moon elf they can in this blasted war. Vel snagged the pretender in a chokehold, knife poised at the jugular. I'm adept at noticing changelings. It's how I've stayed alive so long. Fay! The onlookers backed away. Some clutched their chests while others grabbed chairs or other makeshift terrible weapons. I'll kill you! The Fay's face contorted in anger. You and all your despicable kin! Maybe, but it's not my death day yet. Vel kept a grip on his enemy until the innkeeper handcuffed him and sent a young woman to fetch some more officers. The changeling cursed. Vel saluted his foe. Another death day well celebrated. Rumors and Requiems You know, you've got this all wrong. Eloisia glared at her unwanted visitor, who'd just burst into her tiny cabin in the heart of Germany's Black Forest and announced his intention to rescue her. The knight in shining armor stood in front of the twelve-year-old girl, his jaw slack, eyes bulging. Honestly, she didn't have time for nincompoops. Eloisia returned to her violin and began playing a soft minor concerto while the fireplace crackled behind her. I really do appreciate you braving the perils of the Black Forest to, ahem, rescue me, but as you can see, I'm quite fine. The knight made a few incomprehensible noises before he finally sputtered out, Your father? He said you'd been kidnapped. If my father is concerned about my so-called kidnapping, I assure you, it is only because he either misses having me as a readily marryable bargaining chip for political gain, or because he is afraid this will reflect badly upon him. Eloisia glanced up at her would-be rescuer, and then returned to watching her fingers play. I care about neither. Believe it or not, I am happy here. You cannot possibly, Lady Eloisia. There are sentient vines in the Black Forest who strangle any intruders. I've made friends with them. Nymphs who will drown anyone that gets close to their river boundaries. We go swimming every Tuesday after a nice girls' chat. Ghosts who wander here and lead travelers off the paths. I've found they're just trying to invite the living to a nice soiree. I'm not prejudiced against dead people. She lowered her bow, cutting the music off abruptly. If you really have nothing pertinent to add to the conversation, I would advise you to head home quickly. Night will fall soon, and I can't guarantee your safety. As you've so eloquently pointed out, there are all manner of ghouls here, and if you find them so frightening, you will not want to meet them in the dark. 
The heels of her black boots clicked against the wooden floor as she crossed to her savior. If you want to know the truth, though, the real monster lives in the castle and calls himself my father. Any of the scars on her body could tell the tale. The knight swallowed, inhaled deeply, straightened his shoulders. Lady Eloisa, I have tried to be patient with your childish whims, but I really must insist you come with me. You don't want the knockdrop to find you. Eloisa raised an eyebrow. Oh? Why? Do tell me more. The knight inched closer, casting a furtive glance out the cabin's window. I'm surprised your father hasn't told you about it. The Noctrop is a terrifying creature, his body woven from strands of darkness. The knight wiggled his fingers toward her. He swoops in and snatches naughty children out past bedtime to take them to his nest in the heart of the Black Forest. What a coincidence. That's where we are. Aloysia tucked the violin back under her chin. You may continue. I think some haunting background music might add to the ambiance. The knight glared at her, but then must have remembered that his reward money depended on luring her home. His expression switched to the wide-eyed naivety that adults often wore to trick imbecilic children into listening. The knocktrop looks like a giant raven, except it's got no eyes, just dark, bare sockets that'll kill you if you look right into them. He squinted one eye at her as his voice took on a more menacing tone. And he's got holes in his wings, the wounds from when people have tried to shoot him down in the past. Hmm. When he gives those wings a rattle, watch out. It'll sound like the bones of a thousand skeletons banging together, and anyone who hears it will soon come down with a fatal illness. Eloisa clucked her tongue. Forgive me for poking holes in your story. Holes unrelated to those in its wings, I mean. But I doubt it's anyone who hears the rattle of his wings, or whatever you called it. If that were so, wouldn't the knocktrop need to be deaf as well, or else he'd make himself eternally ill? No. I think the far more rational answer is that he can make anyone he wishes ill with a rattle of his wings. There you go. I've fixed your story for you. The knight's eyes narrowed into slits, but only for a second. Yes, yes, whatever. Anyway, he swoops in for those naughty children out past dark and snatches them right up. He made a catching gesture right in front of Eloisa's face. She didn't flinch. Then he takes them back to his nest and eats them limb by limb. Oh, dear. Is there any warning of his coming? Only two. You'll hear the shake of those dreaded wings and then the scrape of his claws as he moves toward you. The knight shuffled forward with arms outstretched. Really? Eloisa wrinkled her forehead. How odd, then. The knight paused. What's odd? Oh, nothing really. Eloisa cut off her melody with one sharp dissonant chord. It's just the knocktrop is behind you, and I didn't hear the flapping of the wings or claws scraping against the floor. The knight paled, 
His knees quivered as he turned around and found himself face to beak with the seven-foot-tall creature of nightmares he'd described. A scream ripped from his throat. His eyes rolled back in his head, and he collapsed to the floor. Dead or unconscious, Aloysia couldn't tell. The knock-trop glanced at the lump on their floor and stepped over the prone man. Hmm. Another one of your father's guards, I see. No matter. I won't let anyone hurt you again. I know you won't, Guter Noctrop. Aloysia started playing again, this time, Vivaldi's winter suite. She smiled up at the creature of nightmares that had snatched her from her nursery one beloved night. Welcome home. My Old Kentucky Derby Leave the dead to their derby, and they'll leave the living to theirs. The ghosts don't hurt anyone. They come, celebrate, and leave at midnight once a year. The horse races mean a lot to folks around here. That's what the old hillbilly had said as he pumped Reynolds's gas. But leaving ghosts alone was hard to do as a paranormal investigator, exorcism division. Reynolds shuffled through the crowd as ragtime music drifted on the wind, carried from a bandstand. Smoke lingered in the air, thick as fog. From the announcer box, a man in a waistcoat jacket leaned over a microphone until his handlebar mustache almost touched it. At the gates, ladies and gentlemen, we have Man o' War, a familiar favorite. The fast-talking radio announcer continued his string of names. Kingcham, Sir Barton, Seabiscuit, Citation, and Secretariat, among others. They numbered twenty in all, the pride and joy of bygone racing eras. Reynolds lifted a cigarette to his lips as a girl with a feather in her hat sashayed past. The fringes on her flapper dress shook as she batted her eyelashes at him. He flicked the ashes onto the ground. The red embers, as vibrant as the atmosphere, burned in bright contrast to the ghostly surroundings. He couldn't let a dead girl distract him. Again. This your first time at the Kentucky Derby? A woman sporting a sensible suit and a wide-brimmed hat settled next to him on the railing. She toyed with the short ends of her hair, framing her round cheeks. Reynolds admired her out of the corner of his eye. She didn't look like a poltergeist that wanted to eat his soul after their date. A man would only make that mistake once. Yes, ma'am. She smiled. Welcome. It's always the event of the season. Reynolds nodded. The greatest two minutes in sports, I hear. Are you betting tonight? My money's on Seabiscuit. She pointed to the once bay thoroughbred. It's surreal, getting to see him race in person. I just wish my brother was here, but he's working under FDR's new deal. Sorry to hear that. Reynolds took a puff of his cigarette. Maybe you'll be reunited soon. He flicked more ashes onto the ground. Wherever they hit, the ghostly gray faded, revealing the bluegrass underneath. If he circled the racetrack... This whole Kentucky Ghost Derby ordeal would be over. So why did he hesitate? 
Why did he let this nostalgia tug at his heartstrings? Behind him, souls crowded in, singing along to my old Kentucky home at the top of their lungs. Leave the dead to their derby, and they'll leave the living to theirs. What's your name? his pretty guest continued. He shouldn't fraternize, but... Reynolds. I'm Eliza, she held out her hand. Look, the race is about to begin. The horses pawed the ground, kicking up clumps of dirt. The jockeys shifted on their mounts, expressions inscrutable behind their goggles. The band reached a climax, and a gunshot pierced the air. The horses burst out of the gates, and the crowd's cheers swelled over the music. It means a lot to folks around here. Beside him, Eliza cheered on her steed. Tears glimmered in her eyes, like her hope for her brother living on even though she didn't. Reynolds cleared his throat and tucked his cigarette into his mouth. He just wished he could blame the sting of his eyes on that instead of any show of emotion. Oh! Oh! Eliza clasped her hands together as Seabiscuit rounded the curve first, just a neck ahead of Man o' War. He's doing it! The hoofbeats increased their frenzied pace. Reynolds imagined none of these Lexington legends wanted to lose, but there could be only one winner of the derby. Seabiscuit's lead shortened. Eliza gasped. The horse's lead lengthened. She cheered. They don't hurt anyone. The derby was too big, his boss had said. If the ghosts tried to escape, Lexington would be doomed. Reynolds ought to finish the job and go. He shouldn't be so enamored by the atmosphere. By Eliza. Seabiscuit crossed the finish line a nose ahead of Man o' War. He did it! Eliza cried. He did it! She grasped Reynolds' face and planted a kiss right on his lips, like a gentle brush of wind against his skin. Breathless, she pulled back, her hat askew. Her eyes widened like she realized her impropriety. I am so sorry. Don't be. Reynolds cleared his throat and rubbed his flushing face. I hear this race means a lot to people. Emotions are bound to run high. He could hardly hear their conversation over the wild music and cheers as people rushed the gates to get a glimpse of their champion. I just... my brother. He will be so excited. He might get to come home with these winnings. She chattered about what her family might do with the money, what they must be thinking. Her love and excitement almost made Reynolds choke up once more, though it could have been smoke inhalation. I'm very happy for you, ma'am. He dipped his head and shuffled his feet. They disappear at midnight. He only had a few more minutes to exercise this bandstand of people forever, Eliza included, or risk them going rogue one day and escaping into the real world. She hugged her winning ticket to her body. Tears sparkled on her cheeks. You have no idea how much this means to me. Drat. With a sigh, Reynolds flicked his cigarette onto the ground and extinguished it with his leather shoe. Perhaps the old hillbilly had been right, or maybe Reynolds had succumbed to his weakness for pretty girls once again. I think I do. Reynolds tipped his fedora. I'm glad you enjoyed it. 
She beamed. You too. Go find your brother. Reynolds nodded his head as the clock struck midnight, and Eliza and the ghostly derby began to fade. I'll see you next year. Blood and Ashes The troops whispered the name amongst themselves, the legend, the lore, the phoenix, a creature of orange, red, and yellow plumage, the bird on fire, the power that never died. They said that it moved from one world to the next. Once the power enshrouded in its earthly vessel had evaporated in one universe, it simply moved to the next, reborn, person to person, in a never-ending cycle. This was the blessing of the phoenix. Centuries had passed since our paltry world had been gifted by the creature. So many years, in fact, that many thought magic had died out completely. Only whispered stories remained of our people's history. So instead of solving our problems through pretty words of enchantments, we solved them with guns, with willpower, without mercy. The revolution is upon us, the colonel said. He paced back and forth along a cliffside as the apricot-colored sun bathed the world in its light. It promised a new day, but I believed it to be a liar. With the death of your family, monarchies die with them. When your blood is spilled, it will prove to the world that you are no more fit to rule than your ancestors before you. There is no God-given right of one unworthy family to control everything because of bloodline. I bowed my head, but not out of an act of deference. I bowed because the traitor held my sister by her long auburn hair. You speak such great promises, Ariel, Marissa whispered. Don't. I cursed my inability to keep silent. I could train my body to obey, but to tame my tongue? Impossible. Even now, the words burned in my throat. You offer no reprise. You throw off a monarch for a dictator who will fatten you with empty pledges of money that will only strengthen his own coffer. How could these soldiers not see through this charade? How could they think that death could ever bring life? Did they really think that our beloved country could rise from the blood and ashes, like the phoenix itself, like the creature emblazoned on our national flag? Their tenuous and false hope was more mythical than the being itself. Exile us, strip us of our throne, take our jewels or money, but please, don't murder my family. I lifted my eyes to my captor. His grip tightened on Marissa. I glanced at my parents and my brothers in turn, imploring them to agree with me. My daughter speaks the truth, Papa finally said. We will give you everything you want. I dug my fingers into the dirt and clenched my eyes shut. I imagined hurling the soil at the colonel's face before clawing at him. I pictured him bleeding and screaming for clemency at my feet. My family would be aghast to know I harbored such thoughts. 
The images came unbidden, but not unwelcome. They boiled beneath my skin, churning my blood until I might burst. What I want, the colonel hissed, is to know that my hand exterminated the last of your filth, that I won the war. A crack burst past my ears. The scent of gunpowder pervaded the air. Papa fell. The world seemed to tilt as gunfire exploded near my face. Body after body thudded to the ground. Papa, Mama, Marissa, my brothers, Omir, Alexander, Tiberius. Pain erupted in my stomach. I crumpled, and my blood mixed with the very dirt I'd imagined throwing in our captor's eyes. The weak screams of my loves, their moans and cries faded as the world around me grew dark. We could not die like this. The certainty of that thought sparked in my heart and exploded outward, through every vein, with every struggling pulse of my heart. The pain seeped out of me. The metallic taste of blood faded, too. My eyelids fluttered closed, their weight too much to bear. Death. No. I would not let it be. The agony of the bullets tearing through my flesh was faint in comparison to the new power that restarted my heart. It felt like my whole being had been tossed into an inferno from the inside out. I flung my arms out wide as fire burst from every pore, as hot as my rage, scorching my blood. Flames leapt at my command and filled the air, trapping my family's murderers at the edge of the cliff. My fury enveloped them all until only charred ashes remained, whipped into the air by my magnificent orange wings. Only the colonel remained. His eyes grew so wide, reflecting my fiery vengeance. Phoenix, he whispered, you exist. Yes, I rose off the ground, my newfound wings as natural to me as my hands and feet. But you? No more. I swooped at him and gathered Marissa's broken, bloodied body into my arms. As the flames devoured the colonel, I sheltered both of us in a cocoon of fiery feathers until our enemy's screams ceased. I rose to my feet, but my heart contorted as I surveyed the slaughter around me. I positioned Marissa's corpse as gently as I could next to the rest of my family. Why me? I reached back to my shoulder. My blood ran hot in my veins as I touched the hands of each of my family in turn. When I touched Marissa, the dam inside of me broke. I doubled over and clutched her blouse. What good are powers if they only preserve me? I can't live in a world without you. My tears dampened Marissa's cheeks, and her face began to glow. Soon, the light flooded her entire body. She wheezed and coughed as her lacerations began to mend, as if stitched together by the fingers of an invisible seamstress. Marissa! I clung to her, though my gaze drifted to the rest of my family, still lifeless, for now.
hope kindled alongside the fire in my veins. Perhaps there really could be a future born from blood and ashes. I hope you enjoyed listening to Hannah Carter's Flash Fiction Stories, narrated by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central and Corinne Norton. If you want to read more by Hannah Carter, find her on Instagram at MermaidHannahWrites. Be sure to look out for her series, The Atlantis Trilogy, which includes the depths of Atlantis and a twist of tides so far. If you enjoyed listening to Peter narrate the stories, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. I'm always on the lookout for more stories for the podcast. There is a strange ebb and flow to the way they come to me. Sometimes I'm inundated with options, and other times I'm frantically looking for a new story. At the time of recording this episode, I'm in a frantic mode, but I record these episodes so far out, by the time you hear it, I might not be. The point is, It's always a good time to submit a story or to nominate a story you read and loved, because eventually I'll need it. Check out the contact page on the website where you can find an application form for authors as well as a contact form for readers. I can't guarantee every nomination or application will be featured because there's only one per week and I'm aiming to give you guys the best of everything I find. But I do look at every single application and nomination, whereas the random stories I download on my Kindle often get lost. Seriously, I need to organize my Kindle better. If you have tips on how to do that, please send them. As always, I will have links for all the sites I mentioned in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.